Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey everybody, Patrick Connor here, and welcome to the Knuckles and Gloves podcast. And it should be pretty obvious why we're here this week. It should be pretty obvious to every boxing fan, but man, we're here to preview Saul Canelo Alvarez versus Caleb Plant. And I'm here with my dude, Aris Pina, CompuBox operator, fine t-shirt, <laughs> boxing history t-shirt purveyor. What's up, man? How you doing? What's going on, my dude? Uh, we got a big fight ahead of us this week, you know what I mean? And um, undisputed super middleweight championship for the first time. Alvarez plants, a big fight, a grudge match. And um, a lot of people are excited about it, man. It's been building for a long time. And um, a lot of politics involved that people thought the fight wasn't going to get made for a while because of it. But here we are. Yeah, man. Like there was a, it was a bit of an excursion getting to this fight and getting it made, uh, making sure everything went down the grand scheme of things is like besides this being for the undisputed championship of unification stuff like that like just the matchup in itself wouldn't get like anyone salivating back in the day the only reason why anyone got really hyped about this fight is because of what's on the line for it not so you know well i mean it kind of does open up a little bit of a wider discussion i don't want to like take it too wide because we got to preview the fight but it does kind of open up a wider discussion because of the fact that there's been an insistence for a number of years, and I'm not going to argue with it much, that alphabet titles don't mean that much or shouldn't mean that much. We shouldn't pay very much attention to them. And again, I'm not going to argue with that. Like overall, I would generally agree. But um, this being a unification or for the undisputed super middleweight championship, however you want to you know, word it really, um, it does kind of add an, a little extra oomph to the matchup, the fact that what's on the line is super middleweight supremacy, basically. So, I mean, it, it, that does kind of open up a, a bit of a wider discussion, but the fight itself, like you said, it's not like blockbuster per se, but it's a pretty solid matchup, I would say, especially given, you know, there's not really many places for Canelo Alvarez to go at this point, you know, given his development. So I, I think it's, it's probably the proper matchup at the right time. I'd agree with that. Um, Plant is undefeated. He is the IBF super middleweight champion. Um, he has a lot of build toward him. You know, people have been hyped about him for a while, and he's put on solid performances. He hasn't struggled in any of his fights yet. So he looks the part, and with the way he fights in his style and stuff like that, a lot of people think he can give Alvarez fits. Um, I'm not sure yet, man. I guess that's why they fight the fights, but he does have a very slick style. He's, uh, you know, um, knows how to box well. Um, very confident in the ring. He's very confident for this fight, and he's been asking for it for a while. Alvarez, you know, going up because he wants to make history and become the first super midway champion that, um, that's completely undisputed with all the belts. He's trying to make history in himself, in itself. And then, so he already had that online, and both guys were already motivated at that point, you know. Um, plant because he feels that you know he's the major underdog in this fight and that it was almost at first when it was made it was just because it was going to be Alvarez's coronation and people were almost just um, forgetting about him you know overlooking him so to speak and it's become so much more than that now because of the bad blood that's developed between those between these two um, yeah dude that uh that press conference scuffle seemed to give it a, a little bit of oomph we we did a show yeah 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 it's it's pretty crazy man you know plant has definitely gotten under alvarez's skin unlike apparently any other fighter has been able to including billy joe saunders which is pretty incredible in itself and um plant you know he's been a lot of allegations going around saying that canelo was dirty he's been taking steroids you know 
PEDs and other stuff of the like because he popped one time and all these other things. He's making allegations against his whole team. It, it's gotten pretty bad. Canelo is a very proud fighter who takes these types of comments and allegations seriously and gets pissed off about it. And, um, you know, it, it boiled over. And then when it got to that press conference, which everybody's seen, obviously, um, with, what was it, Plant said motherfucker, and then Alvarez took that literally, I guess, to think that was about his mom or something, <laughs> and all hell broke loose right after it. But Alvarez said afterwards, too, when, you know, he landed that two-piece slap to, to counter Caleb's one and subsequently cut his face a little bit, um, he said, you know, this is the most pissed I've ever been in a fight. He's like, I've never felt this way about an opponent before. I want to hurt him so badly. And it seemed real. It wasn't seemed like he was just trying to build this up for the cameras or trying to anything. At that moment in time when he said that, those were his real feelings. So it just, it's built it even more so now. And the fact that it's such a grudge fight now, I think has gotten people really excited to see what could potentially happen this Saturday. The motherfucker thing's pretty funny, especially because... It's <laughs> especially because Alvarez uses the word all the time, too. So He, he does. He does, and not only that. Like I don't, I don't know if you remember, but a couple of years ago, I might have been in before the Floyd fight. I don't remember what fight it was before, but they were doing one of those all access or twenty four seven whatever type of things, and um, it one of the the big kind of narratives ahead of the fight was how close he was with his mom, and he's really you know they haven't really covered that much in recent years. Perhaps it's like you know they stay private, or I I don't know, man. I I don't know, but he, he's a little bit more tabloid status in mexico than he is in the u.s so they might hear more about his mom for instance in mexico than here but yeah dude it's pretty fucking funny because <laughs> i don't know if he was intentionally translating it incorrectly or what what the deal was but is it's a little bit a little bit rich but i will it's say it's funny because like his last couple that he had at a press conference he was calling boo-boo and him you know Dropping an MF on Boo. Yeah, exactly. But I was going to say, when it comes to the allegations about being a PED user, I just got to say, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Get the <laughs> fuck out of here. <laughs> Canelo style. Get the fuck out of here, bro. No, it's, yeah, you know, exactly. it's it's a little so, bit ridiculous, but. Dude, it I, does present an interesting fight, though, because a lot of people do think that Plant has the style to give Canelo fits. Which yeah. has been said before for many opponents. That's true. Well, I do think that there is something to it, though, because, I mean, just looking back, all we can really go back on is what we've seen from each fighter. And that's a, a little bit of the problem that I'm seeing from a lot of the contingent that's picking Caleb Plant is that it's kind of like, well, uh, a, a lot of the argument seems to be based on what they feel he can probably do. Not so much what he's done, because, I mean, there's not really any high level fighters that he's defeated that we've been able to like look at that performance and say, yeah, he's obviously world-class. I mean, he's, he's toward the top of a division that has been kind of thinned out a little bit, but it's, it's, I don't know. I don't want to downplay yeah, him yeah, too much. Exactly. He hasn't really been tested yet. And even though he's a champion, he's one <laughs> of those champions that just, right. as he, he's been untested as a pro. And if this was another error, he'd still be like a, a top contender or like, you know, contender still building himself. He wouldn't have and yet. there's always that argument too that like every fighter starts somewhere you know what i'm saying like every fighter at some point hasn't beaten somebody and that's fair like you know he just might be a future great fighter who as of yet has not defeated anybody and perhaps canelo alvarez is the first step in establishing that 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 very much might well be the case i don't think it is though because as i said you know we can really only go off what we've seen from each fighter and from what we've seen from each fighter for from canelo for instance like what's a what are a, a handful of of opponents that have given him trouble right Erislandi Lara, austin trout uh floyd mayweather um you know that that kind of style that's very counter punchy what's that Saunders maybe once or twice, you know, a couple of times in the fight. Yeah, a little bit. And actually, you know what? Even Kovalev. Kovalev earlier yeah, on in yeah, that fight, yeah. he was having a lot of trouble with his jab, getting past his jab. And so, you know, there are, there are like a, <clears throat> a handful of things that pretty much all of these fighters did, though. All of them jabbed very well. And all of them uh, used a counter-punching style against a guy who's a natural counter-puncher. And so I think that just based on that, Canelo, like, he doesn't really want to lead if he doesn't have to. He'd rather be the counterpuncher. That's his natural instinct. 
And so I think against other counter punchers, it, it takes him a little bit. Like, you know, it, he winds up having to catch up. Billy Joe Saunders, too, you know, natural counter puncher. That's kind of what winds up happening when you put two counter punchers in a, against one of the uh, one another is that it often winds up being a, a flinchy fight, you know, kind of a reactionary type of fight. And so that right there in itself kind of gives Caleb Plant an opening. He's got the height advantage. He's got the reach advantage. If he can really get in there with his jab, I think he could probably cause Canelo some problems. Here's the kind of... Early on, he might, too, as Canelo has to get adjusted to what he's doing. I agree. I agree. And I think the rub on that, though, the rub on Canelo having issues with that style is that in the last three to four years, maybe a little bit more, he's clearly gotten better. He has clearly evolved. He's clearly um, gotten to a point where he can use slightly different styles. And he's not just a counterpuncher. He was able to lead against Golovkin quite successfully in the rematch, in my opinion. I thought he won the fight. I thought, I thought Golovkin won the first fight. Canelo won the second fight. But he was able to lead very well against Golovkin, against a guy who's very difficult to do that against. And he was able to obviously overcome Kovalev, who is just a beast despite his outside-the-ring problems and proved he was a beast early on in the fight. So I think that there are a number of things you can look at here and be like, all right, you, you can't go against Canelo too hard here. It's just a lack of information with Caleb Plant, though. Like, we just don't – we haven't seen him against exactly. enough of those, that I'm top just, level. And even after he's won the title against who's um, who's who's – Uska, uh, you know what I'm trying to Uskatagi, say. yeah. Yeah, it was Katagi. Yeah, um, he wasn't even really It's not the easiest name. I'll give you that. It's, it's yeah, not the yeah. easiest name. <laughs> the guy who just got popped. There you go. Um, <laughs> yeah. But he wasn't really testing that fight. And then his subsequent title defenses against, um, you know, the, the opposition that he's had since then, he hasn't been tested in those fights either. And it's kind of like, I don't even think he's lost a round in any of his title defenses since then. And he's almost been, like, in cruise control. Because, you know, the, the knock on him has always been, oh, he's just doing the same thing over and over. He never really has to push himself or really step up his gas because he's not the opponents weren't able to do anything with him to make him do anything like that. You know, right. he was content to go the distance and have a 12-round route if necessary. Or if he could finish a guy off, he would do it. But he was never, you know, he hasn't been pushing that level yet. We're not sure what's going to happen because Alvarez is obviously seasoned at that level. Alvarez has been at the high level and been fighting it this way for a while, and now he's in his actual prime, even though he's coming up on his 60th pro fight, which is crazy. But Alvarez is at the peak of his powers. Like you mentioned, he has so many layers to his game now. He knows different aspects. He's fit, you know, he's matured way beyond the Mayweather fight when he was befuddled back then. And he knows how, he knows answers to questions and produces traps and sets things up and all that. There's all kinds of aspects to him now. And as good as Plant has looked, um, there's no denying his skill. Is we're not sure how that's going to translate on the big stage like this. At least in my opinion, I agree. No, I I totally agree. Like there's like I said, I it's kind of like basing the argument that he's going to win on what you think he has the ability to do, and not necessarily what we've seen him do. I mean, I, I you got to give him. I guess he's he defeated Mike Lee, so technically he's probably the subway super middleweight <laughs> champion he shouldn't shouldn't he be a sub subway spokesman maybe not subway's toxic now but regardless <laughs> you know it's it's not the deepest division it honestly is not the deepest division not and moment, you know what no, definitely not. historically it has not been the deepest division either there's only been kind of uh short or brief eras in time where there have been, you know, a stacked super middleweight division or the, there have been enough fighters at the top where it could make for a fun round robin or type, type of situation or that and they've been handled by the same super middleweight, And it took a number of years for super middleweight to get the recognition that, you know, as like a legit division and people to actually acknowledge it and um, so on and so forth. It took a lot of like spectacular names too to, at that point in the mid-90s to really bring prominence to where people were just like, hell yeah, you know, super middleweight to where it's at at the moment and to get excited for, for potential fights. Because it wasn't always like that, especially in the very beginning of the, of the era, kind of like the cruiserweights. But again, super middleweight, in my opinion, was a necessary division 
if you look at the grand scheme of things, because middleweights had to go to light heavyweight if they were going to jump a division. And that's 160 all the way to 175, which, you know, it's a major, major gap in a. It's already. Gap. Yeah, already even from 168 to 75 is a pretty big jump. You know, there's Absolutely. there's no question. And but, like but, when Ward moved up to fight Kovalev, he looked naturally like the smaller guy. He didn't look like a natural light heavyweight. You know what I mean? Natural totally. light heavyweights are guys like Bob Foster who were small against heavyweights. Bob Foster was a big-ass dude in itself. Maybe a little bit bigger than a normal-sized light heavyweight, but you get what I'm saying here. Like, going from 160 all the way to 175 was a huge leap. And then, so to have the super middleweight division put in there, that's that was, like, kind of necessary. But at the same time, the early champions of the division from back then, I mean, it wasn't screaming out like what people were saying, oh, I need to see these guys fight because look at the first names that you had. You know, you had Murray Sutherland, um, <laughs> John Pell Park, Flugencio um, Oblegemas, who was best known for getting blasted by Marvin Hagler twice, Lyndall Holmes, Christoph Tioso, you know, names like that. And... All good fighters, don't get me wrong. They're not like, you know, they were bad or anything in the light. They were all very solid. But they weren't like elite level guys, you know, in the grand scheme of things. Not one of them. So the division took a while. And when I don't even consider Sugar Ray and Leonard a part of that division either. Because when he fought Donnie Lalonde, that was just that weird thing where they put dual titles together. And he didn't even spend time in there afterwards, really. Like, I think he fought Thomas Hearn soon after that. And then that was it. You know, Leonard was done. So... He only made a quick pit stop there. It didn't didn't really count. Thomas Hearns, kind of the same thing. These guys weren't taking it. No one was really taking it seriously. It didn't start getting prominence and didn't start getting like the attention until I would say early to mid nineties and the European scene started coming on with guys like obviously Nigel Ben moving up from middleweight, Chris Eubank, um, Steve Collins came into the mix, and also on the American side, Frankie Lyles, Iron Barkley. Um, James Tony when he eventually moved up, and then a guy named Roy Jones who brought a lot of you know attention. Yeah, dude. Even now, it's still often thought of as kind of like a European or European-based division. Um, it's had a lot, a lot of like strong ties to the WBO, which itself yes. Yes. has often been considered kind of like a European organization or an organization that's just friendly to. European the mar European market or whatever I I don't know why precisely I'm honestly not really sure but it does kind of bear out historically but either but, way uh, you're absolutely right it, from in the early 90s before Roy and James really, you know before James Tony moved up and that Roy really came on the scene it was yeah. the division was really dominated out in, in in Europe and then as the mid 90s came around and then Roy moved up. James Tony, you know, went on his own way. Everybody sort of retired. Steve Collins promptly retired. Chris Eubank retired before he came back briefly. Nigel Ben retired. Um, Joe Kelzaki was the man. And then Sven Otke also became champion at that point, which was, you know, Robin <laughs> Reed, the next, yeah. Boy Malinga, Richie Woodhall. These were all guys in the UK. You know, it's not like they weren't featured on television. Showtime, notab notably, were usually would put on super middleweight title fights. But, again, after Roy Jones then moved up, it became kind of like, you know, a European division, like the, the division that was popular over in Europe for a while. And then slowly, again, in the 2000s, when Jeff Lacey came on, when Jeff, Jeff Lacey came into the scene, and then later on, as you mentioned, Andre Ward and others, stuff like that, that's when it started gaining more traction again and so on. Well, yeah, and it's funny because between Ray Leonard and Tommy Hearns, there was that kind of like, it was a, a bit of a rivalry and kind of a race to see who can get the most titles and the most divisions quickest or whatever, mm -hmm. or or who could get the most legit titles or, I mean, you know, whatever, I guess looking back, it doesn't really matter. They were both really great. But um, it, right around the same time as that Donnie Lalonde fight, which they had that novelty dual title, whatever on the line with the stupid ass WBC. But then uh, right around the same time, Tommy Hearns winds up picking up the WBO because they Michael probably Rodney, saw, right? what's that? What did he fight for that? It was a vacant title fight. It, yeah, it was, it was, I can't even remember who he fought for the vacant title, but I'd have to look to be honest. I just remember that they, they saw the opportunity 
the WBO, that is. Like, oh, Thomas Hearns <laughs> wants to fight for our title? Well, then let's go ahead and make a super middleweight. I guess we might as well. So, I mean, it, it, I get it. It's, I'm not saying I like it, but I get it. But yeah, the, the, that's kind of how the WBO got their foot into the super middleweight picture. But it was still a few years before the, WO, the WBO would kind of uh, become more legitimate, I guess, in the eyes of the boxing public and fans and stuff, be largely because of, uh, I would say, everything going on at heavyweight and the heavyweight title, the heavyweight title picture being kind of muddy, but then the WBO being with a couple of somewhat uh, popular fighters and stuff like that, and probably helped also the light heavyweight situation with uh, Darius Mikulczewski and all that type of stuff. But all that's say, in the they 90s. They had long-reigning champions at light heavyweight and super middleweight with Mikulczewski, and then uh, at light heavyweight with yeah. Yep, and then at super middleweight with um, Milwaukee well, was IBF. But... Well, yeah, that's true. He was IBF, but yeah. long but like reign. Yeah, super middleweight, yeah. you've been champion for a long time before he was upset by Steve Collins. And then Kawasaki yeah. obviously took it to another level after that, too. Yeah, that, that round robin between that. Well, I think that a lot of um, boxing fans from the UK who are probably like slightly older than us, like we're in our late 30s, a lot of fans who are like a little bit older than us probably have really fond memories in the UK of that rivalry, well, and, and outside of the UK with Collins, uh, of that rivalry between Nigel Ben, Eubank, Collins, and just and Watson and like, uh, you know, basically the round robin that probably also helped really helped popularize the WBO and the super middleweight division, you know, just it that was little popular grouping. in Europe and then it got, and then it, you know, got attention and over here too probably not for the best reasons but obviously uh, you know unfortunate reasons that was when general mcclellan moved up to fight nigel ben yeah and yeah that was an incredible fight man and it's so untragic what happened to you because that yeah. was I'm not thinking about the tragedy aside that was you know ebb and flow back and forth that thing was like a movie in itself it was wild and, um, it's it's one of those things that's kind of like it's become taboo to enjoy which i totally get but like uh for instance mancini kim dude i'm not saying i watch it a lot but every so often like every handful of years or something like that i'll watch it and it's a really incredible fight like it just Hell terrific but obviously knowing how it ends up it's it's tough and that's kind of one of those situations where, look, we're not going to get into the grim whatever, but sometimes it's tough, go, like, watching those kinds of fights and knowing what's up. But Dude, I passed up on a mankini. A man mankini. Um, a mancini. <laughs> I hope you passed up on a mankini, bro. <laughs> well, that's better. Um, a mancini Kim sweatshirt that I saw on eBay because I just thought that was a little too morbid for me. Oh, man. Like, I mean, on one hand, yeah, great, like, memorabilia that probably like almost nobody is gonna have or if they do they're not gonna like display it or something but yeah that's 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 a tough one but uh you know circling back to this super middleweight business in the 90s was really when it blew up and i think that also stateside what, what really really helped it obviously was that roy jones versus james tony matchup which was pretty big here you know james tony was already uh through middleweight and then gone to super middleweight his his weight troubles were pretty well noted by that time but roy jones we we've already mentioned the not that the division has been around super long but we already mentioned the greatest fighters in the division roy jones joe calzaghi you know the, those two right there are probably the consensus top two after that it gets a little bit muddy because it's like you know, you see the dominance or the quote-unquote dominance of Spinotki, but, like, once you start looking through his record, it's... Don't even get me started on that. It's game, rough, man. dude. I, it's it's rough. Not so a fan. Not there's, a fan. Beyond, like, the top, like, three, there, it's a scrum. There's a lot of arguing to do, but it's it's a pretty cool division and probably an underrated division, really. No, it absolutely, man. They've had some incredible fights in that division and some very solid champions who have passed through, not just the aforementioned names, but there's been other guys as well. I mean, Frankie Lyles, for instance, was a very respectable champion in the mid-90s. Your guy, the hatchet? Yes, I, I love Charles Burrow, one of my all-time favorite fighters, me and my dad. 
um, Michael Nunn was in the division for a cup of coffee. One of the biggest upsets of the 90s, if not in boxing at, you know, the past 50 years is when Steve, uh, journeyman Steve Little, tough guy who didn't have the best record, but always gave a good account of himself and always went the distance with everybody, um, upset Michael Nunn in a major upset for the, yeah. um, the super middleweight title. And, you know, like I mentioned too, dude, you had a lot of just really tough, tough contenders around that era as well. Tony Thornton, Murky Sosa, um, Thomas Tate, you know, the list goes on and on of these guys who always made really good fights, whether in their title fights or not. And it was, it was a lot of fun. You know, I loved watching the super middleweights in the mid nineties on, um, whether it was Showtime, HBO or Tuesday night fights. And I'll, I'll mention one other thing too. When Roy Jones was dominating that division, it was almost interesting to watch the, now as an adult, I think back on it, to see the two dynamics that you had. On Showtime, they always, for the most part, had competitive fights for the super middleweight division, unless there was like a showcase Frankie Lyles fight. But like, you would usually get fights like Ben McClellan, like I mentioned, or Steve Collins in a title fight, or Frankie Lyles fighting Steve Little. When Roy Jones would fight on HBO, it was usually Roy Jones against Antoine Bird. Roy Jones against Tony Thornton, tough guy, but just had no chance against in hell against Roy. Roy Jones against Brian Brandon. They're all showcase fights. And both sides would bicker back and forth about they wanted to fight each other. You know, at one point, Ben and um, I remember on the radio, I actually heard it. I was a little kid, and this was back when they still talked boxing on the radio. But whatever station I was listening to, they said, we have breaking news. Roy Jones is going to fight England, England's Nigel Ben. And I started freaking out because I was like, oh, my God, they're going to fight. Oh, you know, I was a, I just knew who both were, and I was really hyped. And then Roy fought Vinny Paz instead. So, that's, I think that that's been one of the bigger criticisms of Roy Jones, that obviously he's had the talent and the showmanship and all that type of stuff. But um, throughout much of his career, he didn't really fight very many punchers. And there were punchers available for him to fight at various times. Now, granted, um, it's kind of one of those situations where a number of these other fighters kind of beat the shit out of each other so that they never even really got to Roy Jones or they fucked up. You know, I mean, you can't really blame Roy Jones for the fact that James Tony couldn't keep his weight down. And I mean, granted, he was also in, he was like playing uh, football in high school at like 220 pounds or some shit like that. So, I don't know that he ever really had much business making 160, 168, but point is you can't blame Roy Jones for that. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, dude, there's, there were, it's never really been a super heavy, uh, top heavy division or a really deep division, I guess you, you could say. And I guess now is not really uh, much of a, much of a change in that regard. But I mean, I guess what, who else would be out there to fight at super middleweight? So either guy, whoever wins this fight between Canelo and Plant, are probably going to be looking toward other money opportunities. Or I guess if it's if it's uh, Caleb Plant, they're probably going to have a rematch. That's probably the reality there. But even so, uh, let's assume Canelo were to win. I mean, there's not really anywhere for him to go in terms of super middleweight. I mean, not that I can think of anyway. So the plan was already before they linked up Canelo and Plant to try for, uh, I think it was, it was Dimitri Bivol. I think that they were initially trying to go for, for Canelo. But in any case, um, yeah, man, it's, it's not a deep division now. It's never been a deep division. But it is significant that these two guys are linking up for all the marbles. Dude, um... I'm not sure, you know, like you mentioned, if Plant wins, then obviously there's going to be a rematch involved. That's it. That's the first things first. And going from there, um, I'm sure they'd mix and match him with whoever's available in the PPC realm. You know, there's big fights being made in that, whether it's moving up or moving down or someone moving up to fight him. There, there'd be fights to be made over there. Um, as far as Canelo goes, I think his business is he just wants to absolutely wipe out super middleweight. And once he's achieved that goal, I can't see him hanging around trying to make mandatory defenses or trying to keep the belts on the line and stuff like that. Like, he already, he's already there, you know, at that point. Um, yeah, like, heavyweight might be the next phase again. If he moves up there and, because he's been there already, he knocked out Kovalev. Um, 
like you mentioned, Bevel might be the next option. Um, that'd be a very, very, very interesting fight for various reasons. And one I think Canelo probably would be interested in, considering he almost had it, you know, he was about to pick him right before every um, plant came back into the picture. So, yeah, that might be his next option, is moving up to light heavyweight and finding his next challenge. Another thing that I think that we, we got to give we got to give it up to Canelo for a little bit is the fact that he said that he was going to be more that he was going to be busier that he was going to pick up the pace a bit and he has, dude. He's Absolutely. he will have fought three times this year, and for an absolute upper echelon fighter, like that doesn't really happen very often, and which is kind of sad. It's, it's, it's its own sad commentary, but. In, in fact, dude, if, if everything had gone according to schedule, he might have fought four times this year. So that's, I mean, it sucks and it's kind of stupid that that's, a, that that's even amazing. But it is kind of amazing. And it's pretty cool to I mean, have somebody... This era really is, and for a guy of his stature, and exactly, how yeah. almost every fight, people think for, for, uh, for a fighter of this level, everything has to be a huge event. That is really big. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, and... it is. It's unheard of now for a guy of his level to step down and fight someone of, like, the level of, like, a year group. You know what I mean? Or like, a stay-busy fight. But Canelo has no problems doing that and just, you know, showing that, hey, staying active is the best thing you can do, not just fighting once or twice a year, making an event, and then taking off. Well, and, and that is one thing that he's also... Good. Yeah, it's good not to be rusty. It's good for, It's good for so many various reasons. Well, and that's, that's one thing that he's also got going for him is that he has more recent rounds under his belt going into this fight. You know, he's, I would imagine that he's just going to be a little bit sharper because it may, maybe that's why he got the slap in on that, the press conference because yeah. he had the recent rounds. He's a little sharper. Um, something that you brought up earlier and like, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this. I just, I do want to say it because it has been a part of the, uh, not only Caleb Plant's claims and at the press conferences and shit like that, but also a lot of people on social media parrot a lot of the things that wind up getting said. Um, so the whole PED thing, man. So I know I'm taking like a deep breath. <laughs> I don't, like I said, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I do have some shit to say on it. Um, so back when, Canelo wound up getting, he wound up testing positive for clenbuterol. I said it on social media at the time, but I was relatively uh, familiar with clenbuterol, at least uh, in a textbook manner because of my veterinary experience and shit like that, because it's primarily an equine drug. You don't really see it used very often in dogs and cats, but you definitely see it used with horses. So I, I was a little bit familiar with it, and I was a little bit familiar with having to research because of my veterinary background. Um, there's a lot of crossover when it comes to food animals when, you know, the veterinary field and the human medicine field, there's a lot of overlap when it comes to food animals. So, like, do I, for instance, believe that Canelo tested positive for clenbuterol? like a significant amount of clenbuterol because he ate tainted beef. Probably not. I would sooner believe that he was taking some sort of subs supplements and the supplements got tainted than the beef got tainted. That seems really unlikely to me that it wouldn't get metabolized, but whatever, dude, fine. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's, let's just go ahead and say, he ate beef, whatever, whatever the case was, he had clenbuterol in his system that pretty much cannot be disputed. Um, but apart from the whole clenbuterol thing, we have like a little bit of, okay, I don't want to say apart from the, the whole clenbuterol thing as if I am uh, sweeping that under the rug because it is significant. And I think that it is significant given the PED use that we often see in boxing or the suspected PED usage among fighters, which is probably fairly high and a lot higher than a lot of people realize. So it shouldn't be swept under the rug. It shouldn't be overlooked. Um, but it's also not really quite a damning case if we're looking at this as, you know, the motherfucking hashtag levels here. If we're looking at 
the kind of scale of PET positives, it's not really that damning of a PED positive. And he hasn't test he hasn't tested positive since, which is, you know, obviously a pretty good thing. So on the flip side of that though, and something that I brought up on social media is that you have Caleb Plant, who is sponsored by Victor Conti's supplement company, Snack, S-N-A-C. And I know that I, I brought this up on a recent show, so I don't want to drone on about it. But, dude, Victor Conti, Balco, late 90s, early 2000s, really helped power, facilitate. Power, I mean, dude, yeah, tower, former tower power bassist fucking guy. And then he helped facilitate a widespread performance-enhancing drug-like industry within baseball, but also on in track and field in the late 90s and early 2000s. And this fool was sentenced to like, I don't even remember what it was, some ridiculous amount of jail time, did like five months and got out mysteriously, and now has, since getting out, professed that he just wants to clean up boxing. Why? Nobody knows. It's just magical, mystical, and wonderful, fantastical, and totally fucking made up. And so now he has a quote-unquote supplement company. The supplement industry is a notoriously, like, unregulated industry to the point where it's like, dude, you can basically just claim you you have whatever the hell in some capsule in a bottle. Like, it's... It's laughably unregulated. So that in itself is a problem. And the fact that you have this former PED fucking kingpin heading up this company, and then not only heading up this company, but using the money made on this company to sponsor fighters. Like, I don't see how that's not problematic. And it also seems to me, at least from a moral or ethical standpoint, it definitely cancels out Caleb Plant's claims that there's something funky going on or bad or, you know, he's a drug cheat and that type of shit. So what does that mean? Is it like, you know, two wrongs make a right? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that it's, it's hypocritical. It doesn't really match up. So it, it, and I'm sorry, I know it was a little bit of a rant, but it's definitely been part of the narrative for going into this fight. And if nothing, I mean, I don't know how you can't look at both fighters. You can't really point to one or the other, in my opinion. So what does that mean? Totally does that mean we just that. go, fuck it? I don't know. I mean, I don't know how you actually even approach the conversation. What do you think? Like the way you just said it, man, you got to look at it both sides of the spectrum. Alvarez did get popped, but he hasn't been popped for anything since then. Um People have seen the buyback excuse about the tainted meat because other fighters have claimed that's happened, and now it seems that there could be something, you know, that actually was an issue out there. But like you mentioned, of all the stuff that's gone down with Conti in the past and then the shadiness that goes on with his company, which is there, there's a major dark cloud over him, regardless of how much you think he's reformed and changed and done all this other shit, there's still a big cloud on him. There's still a lot of questions about him. And he's not an expert the way people try to make him to be like that. Like, he didn't go to, you know, he didn't go to college for this stuff. He didn't go to a lab. Like, he's not, you know, he's not a licensed doctor who knows how to, who knows what goes into all these type of, you know, these supplements, as you just said, right? So. It's like taking a murderer and bringing him in and being like, you're a forensic pathologist now. Yeah, yeah, because the what? guy, you know, or like those people that, you know, hack phones all the time and do stuff and then they bring them in and hire them for, and, and you know, part of their company, <laughs> you know, I don't know, man, like, I don't, I never got too in-depth with the whole steroids issues that others have, or, or who claim to be experts on it or whatever, maybe, you know, a lot of people got really, really, really into it, but, um, Conti is definitely one of those guys that, like, you got to take everything he says, I mean, with a grain of salt. Obviously, he's trying to put this out there, this facade and all this stuff about where he's at now and how he's changed and he wants to do the best for fighters and all this other stuff, but his past is still his past. And everybody that's associated with him now and his company and knows what he's done and knows what he's about and knows how the game is still played today needs to be suspicious of that. And not just kind of like wave it off and just kind of be like, well, if he says it's, he's okay now, then I'm just going to say he's okay. If that makes sense. 
does. I, I'm, I have my own biases here in the whole Conti situation, but I think that oh. what you say is really reasonable, dude. It's uh, there's there's reason to be suspicion given his background, and so that itself kind of makes it funky. And like I asked earlier, you know, does it kind of like cancel each other out? Like, no, it doesn't cancel each other out. It's just that I'm not entirely sure what the solution to this you can't is. Just so, know if a guy, anyone that's associated with Conti and, and everybody like that. Even if it's not quite the same, you know, situation or whatever it may be, you can't just come out there and blatantly say something without getting a finger pointed back at you and having some questions raised at you. Yeah, that, dude. That, that needs to happen. You know what I mean? You can't just sit there and be like, well, I'm, I'm Teflon right now and no one can say anything to me and I'm this and that, blah, blah, blah. Well, look who you're associated with. At least that now some questions have to be raised about that. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, and I, and I don't, I, again, don't want to just bring it down into the muck, but it's kind of a similar situation to what we've seen. Like we just saw Raleigh Romero get yanked from his fight against Tank Davis. The The news went out a little earlier that that happened. And, and you know, them. it's good for them, man. I'm, you know, I wasn't, to be honest, I wasn't sure if that was going to happen, you know, considering that the sport they were in. But I'm, yeah. And, you know, Really it's that it's definitely that. it's a good thing it's a positive thing and i don't want to taint a positive thing it's simply just in the interest of fairness and talking to the speaking to the hypocrisy mm-hmm. of the situation mm-hmm. that you know if we're looking at this on a on a level playing field there perhaps should be questions asked about tank davis in this regard as well but just sure. again flipping it back to canelo and plant it's just it seems to me that uh, without a solution, without a pretty clear solution on the PED situation and all that type of stuff, which there isn't, um, I don't, I don't really know how much time needs to be spent, like from either the fighters, the fans, or anything, whining about the PED shit because it's not really, it's not really, really like a, a legit argument. But so, no, at the, the end, f- of the, I'm just ready for the fight. I'm pretty positive right. both guys are gonna end up not being bust, you know, testing negative for anything. Everything's gonna end up fine. <laughs> I just want to fight at this point in time. You know what I mean? So what do you think is going to happen, dude? What's, what's, what's your take on this? Um, Plant's going to come out aggressively. I'm sure he's going to be trying to work the jab early. Um, you know, he's not really, even though he's a slick fighter, he's not really a mover so much like the Billy Joe Saunders type. So I think he's going to try to stay more in the pocket and see if he can just kind of outslick Alvarez there, which is going to be difficult for him. Um, Alvarez, I think, is going to take a couple of rounds to adjust. He might drop a round or two while he's trying to, you know, figure out what he's tended to do before in the past. But once he catches a beat on him and it makes adjustments from there, that's when things are going to get interesting. And as we brought up earlier in the show, talking about how Plant's really going to have to step it up and not be on cruise control in this fight because this is going to be the fight of his life, we're going to see how he's going to react to that. And either he's going to be able to step up and, like, really fight the fight of his life from there and end up, you know, stay the part of the course with Alvarez and then bring it up even more so, or Alvarez stepping up as he's going to do is going to make, you know, plants start falling apart. So I think at the end of the day, I'm going to go with Alvarez by decision. I'm not sure um, how close it'll be. Like, I think, like I mentioned early on, it should be pretty interesting, you know, kind of close and interesting, but... Gradually, Alvarez starts figuring him out as he does in most of his fights, starts breaking him down, beating him up, and then he wins by about three to four points. Yeah, dude, I think that that's a, uh, I think that's pretty fair. I think that's pretty fair, yeah. I don't really think that I've seen anything from Caleb Plant that would lead me to believe that he's like soft or not tough or anything like that. I think that he's fairly tough. He's a very, very tough guy, and he grew up tough and all that. I mean, there's no doubt. Yeah. I think that Did if you see that YouTube video of him actually, there's a video a, a video of him fighting in the hood years ago against the guy who pulled the knife out on him. <laughs> it's kind of blurry. Like I'm not entirely sure I mean, that that's really him. Yeah, like I, I guess it's him. I don't know. But yes, I I've have heard, seen that. I video. think it is because I hear people saying he's a national champion. He's a national champion in the video. I think I heard something like that. So I'm almost positive. Yeah, like it 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 sounds like it could be him. And I think somebody was saying the other day that he had claimed that it was him too. But regardless, yeah, I did see it. Um I don't I don't really think that I've seen much, yeah, from him that makes me think that he's gonna 
dog out of it or, you know, or anything like that. I think that it's going to be more of a situation where Canelo is going to have to work for the win. He's not just going to be given the win unless some, you know, something happens early or some freak knockout or something like that. It's possible. But also I, I think that one thing that a lot of the people who are backing Caleb Plant, Caleb Plant himself, his team perhaps also too, might be overlooking a little bit is I think that the assumption is that the hand speed is with Caleb Plant. The advantage is firmly in his favor. And, you know, it might be. He probably is a little quicker. But I think they also shouldn't look past Canelo's hand speed. He's got pretty good hands, dude. And even if it's not so much a speed thing, he's gotten to the point. point, he's, He's very snappy, dude very snappy with his shots and that can cut that speed advantage quite a bit. You know, like that I was, I was even thinking about this earlier. Like it's, I think that it's, it's usually pretty true what they say, like a boxer beats a puncher. Right. Mm-hmm. And like a skills often beat power. I would say that's usually true. Like, and like, or speed beats power, sorry, speed beats power. And I would say that's usually true. However, timing often beats speed. And I would say that's also often true. And that's why you see, why we've seen it, like even in the past, really good punchers with good timing who maybe weren't that fast. I think Felix Trinidad's like a really good example. Not that fast, not super fast hands, but really knew how to place his punches and had really good timing. Like he knew exactly when you were about to throw that hook and that's when he was throwing his hook. As soon as you were setting up your hook, bitch you better get out of the way because that hook was coming right at you and if you weren't ready and that's the kind of thing where i think that canelo alvarez is just really good at timing and snapping his punches so that that cuts that speed advantage quite a bit might be the best in the sport at at just proper timing and knowing the perfect placement like he doesn't like you mentioned he doesn't throw multiple flurry combinations he doesn't have to like every punch counts all right you know he doesn't waste any energy he knows what he's doing in the ring. So, I mean, he produces low numbers when it comes to the overall punch output. But at the same time, look at the act, look at the um, connectivity rate. You know what I mean? Like, the dude is up there. Damn, I, I should have even I should have even asked you before we did the show about the CompuBox numbers, but I, I didn't even think of it. Yeah, I, gotta, I, I, bring, I have to bring them up. I don't have them. Like, I, right I would I would have to assume that in recent years, Canelo's punch numbers dude, have gone up a little bit. His accuracy is incredible. Well, and, and, then, and I yeah, think his output. I think his output has gone up since moving up from middleweight, but I could be wrong. But, but regardless, it's still not very high. He's still he, definitely he's never not. been. Even when he was really, really young, I mean, he threw more punches back then. But even when he was like young, when he first came on the scene, and the first time we were like seeing him, you know, on a national audience, he was he was still economical and not a guy who like went out there and just threw a bandage in a way and never really flurried like that. If he got a guy hurt, he finished. He was a tremendous finisher. But he just, again, it's all his punch placement. He knows where every punch is going. He knows where to land him. He knows what he's trying to do in there. And he's always thinking everything is a thought process with him. You see his mind always computing. You know, it's, it's beautiful totally. to watch. To see each round, to see how he, like, you know, he, he figures something out each round and goes from there. And then soon enough, and once he kind of figures it out and knows he can start landing those bombs, that's when one of those, like you mentioned, them quick snap punches, like the uppercuts, for example. That's the best example. The uppercuts that he lands when he just aims it and then he kind of throws that jab out there to get people uh, distracted and boom! And when he hits it, that's when shit usually breaks or gets knocked out or head snap or whatever it may be. So that's when damage gets done. And at some point, Plant's going to hit get hit with that uppercut. He's going to get hit with some body shots. And um, laying on the ropes trying to pull the Mayweather and trying to do the shoulder roll and stuff like that, when it's not Floyd, it's not going to work. And that's the parts when Alvarez is going to really shine because that's when the big blows are going to be landed. So, yeah, dude, I agree. I I don't know what my official pick is going to be, but I would have to roll with Alvarez. It's not, uh, it's nothing personal or anything like that. I'm not, I'm not really a Caleb Plant fan, but actually, something you said earlier too. Um, I, <laughs> there seems to be, for whatever reason, a little bit of a narrative that like Caleb Plant is like he's capable of or doing something that we you know we never see fighters do this that's i I don't think that's true at all (laughs) i think that he's a good fighter but i don't think that i've ever really seen anything from him that i'm like wow you just don't see that these days not not really i'm not saying that i'm looking 
because all his all of his um, challenges have been so overmatched that he needs to pull a, like a super middleweight Roy Jones and blast him out there in a round or two. He doesn't, but he, you know, I just at the same time I still haven't seen anything that is just like wow to me. Like he's just going through, you know, he's not really pushed, so he doesn't really push himself, I guess, to really take it to that next level and really blast the guy out there and show these skills that people are saying he's going to be showing against Alvarez. He's very good. Don't get me wrong. Again, he's highly skilled. He's one of the better technicians out there, and I think he's a really solid fighter. But I don't. I'm not sure. Again, that like unless I'm missing something here, he's gonna really have to take it to another level to to really compete there, and you know, not be in cruise control here. No, I, I agree, dude. I I think that it's this is not a situation where if Caleb Plant winds up winning. It's going to be a thing where a lot of people can point to precise moments in his career where he could say, yep, that's why it's going to be more that he showed up uh, more than what a lot of us expected. So, and, that and, and totally that's cool. Happen. That could totally happen. It could. And I want it to be competitive. I don't want it to be some, some crap fight. But needless to say, Canelo Alvarez is at the top of his game, dude. He's easily one of the best couple fighters in the sport, if not the best right now. And there's not really much denying that. And that's also why I brought up the PED thing, because that seems to be one of the biggest knocks against him or one of the biggest arguments for not making him one of the top one or two fighters in the sport right now. That seems to be the biggest thing, you know? Absolutely. And it makes you wonder, too, since he got popped, um, even though it got kind of scratched away, are people going to hold that same standard that they do for others when the time comes for them to go into the Hall of Fame? <laughs> well, I know how I'm voting, dude. And speaking of which, we're going to be doing one of them Hall of Fame shows uh, very soon, so we can reveal how we how we voted for our uh, <laughs> for our ballot this year. So, you know, yesterday was the deadline. But um, you know, before before we get out of here and wrap up this preview, I was just going to at least mention the undercard that's happening for Alvarez Plant. I mean, like I said. I'm just going to mention it. Like I said, I'm just going to mention it. <laughs> we don't need to do a discussion. It's not, it's not something that, uh, it's not an undercard that really speaks to me. I'll put it that way. Whereas uh, Elvis Rodriguez, uh, the Dominican fighter against Juan Pablo Romero, who is undefeated but fairly inexperienced. Uh, Reyes Vargas, you know, the, the freakishly tall bantamweight cat. Who's, Ray uh, Vargas, yeah. Yeah. He's he's uh, fighting Leonardo Bias, who's a decent fighter, but I think that also a little bit of the excitement has gone out, or a little bit of the novelty is worn off for Reyes Vargas, who's a, a a good fighter, but not nearly the kind of freakish Tommy Hearns type of fighter yeah, that a lot of people want uh, him to be, based on his stature. He's definitely more of a kind of a distance type of fighter, but he's also yeah. takes. He takes a bit of punishment too, so I'm not entirely sure how much longer, you know, he's going to be a thing. But he's he's also fighting on the undercard. But then, the really unfortunate thing, and I'm sorry to say this, and I'm sorry to do this because I just have a massive bias. But Anthony Durrell's fighting some cat, and I just I don't like the Durrells, man. I'm sorry. Yeah, man. Yeah, get him, Unk. Nice job. Whatever that was. Nice job, Unk. Oh no. Clarissa, Clarissa, I don't know. Get her, um, get her off social media. Yeah, no, it was, it was a bad no, moment. I mean, it was, yeah, the Durrells have definitely um, had had their share of controversy over the years. I'll just say that. You know, between yeah, between the controversies and uh, the weird stuff, because it's not just there's been like some weird, weird Doctor Doctor Shaw High. Remember Doctor Shaw? Oh, Gary. <laughs> Well, no, because uh, after after Andre Durrell got you know the, got the punched while he was on the canvas from Arthur Abraham, and then they were he they pulled him out of the Super Six, claiming that he had uh, he had like a brain bleed or some neurological something. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they asked, they were like, "Oh, where did you hear this from?" And they were like, "Oh, my doctor." They're like, "Do you have a name for your doctor?" And he said, "Yeah, Doctor Shaw High." And they were like, "That sounds made up as fuck, bro." 
and they never produced anything about it it was like wait what and it was when gary shaw was his fucking yeah well gary shaw bro anyway so yeah that just apart from the in-ring weirdness out-ring weirdness even apart from that dude it's with all due respect to both of them they're also not very exciting fighters so I'm, it doesn't do much for me. I'm like Andre Durrell has much for been me. around for dude. Andre Durrell has been around since I, about as long as I've lived in New York, which is a long ass time. Even even before that, um, I remember when he was a prospect coming up, and that was like in the early in the mid two thousands. Yeah, right. Because he was out of what the old four Olympics, or yeah, there was no or. It's been a long time. We're old, but yeah. So I when I see the name... Olympics, so yeah, he's been around since then, dude. And he just never—I don't know—it just never really came about. You know, his first fight that he had with um, that no, not for, like his fight that he had with Froch, which a lot of people thought that he was gonna like you know explode in that one. Then he ends up losing it. Um, the weirdness, like you mentioned, what happened in Abraham—a fight that he was winning, going away—but all the aftermath of that craziness. And his career just never really recovered after that. Yeah, dude. Well, it's his brother fighting on the undercard. I know that. Yeah, yeah. his brother's a complete mess. Like, same thing. Even though there's not much, it's kind of splitting hairs here. (laughs) So, yeah, when I see the name Darrell on like a pay per view card, I'm kind of like, e. So, unfortunately, it's kind of a situation where this Showtime pay-per-view is, you're definitely buying it for the main event. You're not really doing much for the undercard, but that's... Yeah, this is a really bad undercard. Really That's bad. the same kind of situation we find ourselves in with just about every pay-per-view, to be honest. And how much are they offering for this one? About 75 again or something? And I, I'd have to look, but usually it's something like 75 and then 85 for HD or some shit, which is the dumbest shit, but whatever. Everybody really watches just it HD. main event for this card. Because the rest of the show would be like well, Fox on FS1 or something like that. Yeah, it's not. It's it's okay. It's that's all. So the main event is the main event's pretty good though, and I'm I'm definitely looking forward to it. I'm not super excited for it, but I'd say it's fight week. It feels like a fight week. No, it's a big fight. It's for it's making history. There's a, like we mentioned, there's a lot of bad blood around here. There's a lot of intangibles in this fight. Um, there's a lot of diversity between the two sides of the fans and stuff like that and how they feel and all, everything so yeah man this is a good as the week goes on it's going to get the anticipation and atmosphere is going to get a lot better until saturday hits and then twitter's going to go nuts especially if caleb plan somehow somehow wins <laughs> oh man that's it's going to get ugly if that happens plant wins, bro. oh my god <laughs> yeah it's going to get real ugly or real beautiful who knows but also another uh another actually really notable thing about this and somebody feel free to correct me if i'm wrong but um i'm pretty sure that this is the first open card in las vegas for a while where they're do where they're like opening it up you know like it's mm-hmm. normal i think because i know the weigh-ins open they're doing a totally open weigh-in to the public they haven't done that for like a year and a half and i'm pretty sure that that's the you just you just go. So in no any case, uh, what's that? No masks or anything. I that I don't know, but that's not like they enforce that shit anyway. We've been watching cards this whole pandemic. <laughs> Nobody's doing shit, bro. No, and so I I don't really know, but I'm pretty sure that there's something significant in that regard. So I hope everybody has fun. I hope everybody goes and stays safe, has fun, and everybody has fun watching it. But look, dude, it, I look forward to. It. Should be pretty good. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be awesome, man. You know, but, whenever there's a big fight, it's going to have a nice stretch too into November, which we have a, you know, a bunch of big fights coming up and very, very good fights too. So that's true. Actually, we'll just kind of uh, do a quick little rundown since we're here, and I opened it up. Why not? Like this weekend, uh, you know, we, there's a couple other fights, but there's nothing, you know, all that big. However, the following weekend. We got uh, David Benavidez, Zeus Katagi got pulled from that card, but it sounds like they're going to replace him with Carlin Davis. Uh, Jaime Munguia versus Gabe Rosado. I think normally I would be kind of like, eh, whatever about that fight, but Gabe Rosado getting uh, getting that massive, fucking massive. Yeah, and he had quite a little resurrection going on in his career. First he got jobbed against Jacobs, now that. So that's going to be a good fight. Oh, man. Yeah, no, He's that was definitely motivated for it, too. He's definitely motivated. He's at the highest he's feeling in his career, I'm sure. So it's a good fight. That was really bad against Jacobs for sure. And so then to, for him to follow it up 
I didn't, I, I literally like 30 seconds before he scored that knockout, I was like, he ain't knocking him out. So I guess he's going to be blah, blah, blah. Boom. And I was like, oh shit. Great so job good. tweeting that you dick. That was me, <laughs> me, the dick. But, uh, if his face holds up, that's going to be, if his face can hold up, that's going to be a hell of a fight. Exactly. And you know what, dude, it ain't like Jaime Munguia. I think that we, I'm not going to say we got sold a bill of goods. I just think that he's not quite what a lot of people expected. So the win is potentially there for Rosado for sure. And we got some other shit coming up. What else we got? Oh, we got boo boo. Boo boo's fighting Quigley on zone November 9th. No, I'm just kidding. Nobody's excited about that. Sorry, boo boo. Oh, yeah, that's right. Bud versus Porter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that guy. No, but do we got a uh, Terrence Crawford, Sean Porter, Teofimo Lopez, George Camposos? That's kind of just like let's just get that out of the way at this point. I, don't I mean, know. finally, right? Just thank God it's finally actually happening after all this crazy. Yeah, I don't know that anybody's now. even really anticipating it. They just need to get out of the way. But yeah, so there's there's at least an eventful November. So we got some shit coming up, dude. It's it's cool. I can dig it. I'm hyped. Very hyped. So anyway, bro, anybody who listened in, we always appreciate it. We really always appreciate it. And uh, until the next show, if you are on social media, like Twitter, for instance, follow my boy Eris Peanut Punch Zone Eris. Follow me, Patrick Connor at Patrick M Connor. You can also follow Knuckles and Gloves on Instagram, Knuckles and the Gloves, all one word, of course. And if you are on Facebook, you can find the Knuckles and Gloves podcast there. But uh, if you're watching, subscribe on YouTube. Why don't you? Appreciate that. And if you're listening, subscribe on Apple, Spotify. Google Podcasts, all of those good things. Those are always appreciated. Reviews appreciated. And Eris, thanks for allowing me to just talk breathlessly for moments, at a, minutes at a time. I appreciate it, bro. Always, my man. Always come to the knowledge. <laughs> I appreciate it yourself. For sure. All right, everybody. Take it easy. Later. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.